So good to see you on this lovely Sunday morning in August. <clears throat> Thank you for practicing with us. Thank you for being here, making the effort to arrive in this place. Sometimes think that um, our place of practice is the fourth jewel. It's Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, Zendo. It's rare that we have a place to practice this way. So it is, it's, it's something to be treasured. <clears throat> For the next little bit, we are going to be exploring and examining the Heart Sutra, which we recited today. The, this sutra is one that is chanted all over the world by all styles and all sects and all schools of Buddhism. So it is one of the common threads that runs through all of Buddhist practice. And it is, as the title suggests, the heart of the teachings. Not obvious to the discursive mind what it is, and it is not designed to be understood in that way, not to be figured out. What, is, what does all this mean? But it's designed to heal, to inspire, to move one to practice. <clears throat> and today, I, Taishan and I will be discussing what we're calling the chunks, different chunks of the... <laughs> maybe that's a kind of um, insult to, the, to use that term, chunks. Elements, parts, um, sections of the sutra so that we can enter more fully into it. And today I want to focus very much on the very beginning of the sutra. By the way, it is the sutra that we chant is a shortened version of, there's a longer version. And then there's all of the Prajna Paramita sutras, which are thousands of sutras. So, We've got just the little, this little short uh, piece of, of a very larger work, condensed. I like all sometimes think of it as the perfume. Uh, my mother used to sell perfume at Macy's um, in, in New York, and there were three levels of, there was a, what's called toilet water, which is a very diluted form of the fragrance of the flower. And then there's cologne, which is a little more intensified, uh, more fragrance. And then there's perfume, which comes in these tiny little bottles. And that's like the, the most intense form of the flower. And that's, of course, the most expensive. Um, and in a way, the Heart Sutra is the one that we chant, is the perfume. It's the perfume of our practice. 
But I want to address the beginning of the sutra with this topic that I have heard a lot about from our sangha, many of whom have asked me about it, are not here today, (laughs) which is not unusual. (laughs) Um, But maybe they'll have a chance to hear the talk uh, somehow. The topic is the topic of loneliness. And I've had a lot of interest and questions about what I'm lonely. What do I do? How do I address this loneliness? And some people say it's, a, it's an epidemic, uh, particularly in America, that people are feeling really lonely, whatever that means. And I called the topic of today's talk the illusion of loneliness. And I use the term illusion to express a truth that we discover during our practice, in our practice, which is that there is no such thing as loneliness, that it may be a real feeling, but it is not a reality. And so, from that perspective, one has to understand that this feeling of loneliness is an illusion. And I want to start by looking at the first few lines of the sutra. We meet Avalokiteshvara, who is the person who is practicing during the sutra. We meet him not at the, we meet them, say him or her. We meet them at the heart, at the feet of, at, at not not reading anything, but practicing. Is not sitting. They are not sitting at the feet of the Buddha. They are practicing prajnaparamita. They're meditating. In fact, it says, a bodhisattva, when practicing deeply, the prajnaparamita perceived that all five skandhas are empty and was saved from all suffering and distress. That's one translation. That's not the one that we recited. There are many translations. Another translation is the bodhisattva of compassion from the depths of perfect wisdom saw the emptiness of all conditioned beings and sundered the bonds that create suffering. So Avalokiteshvara is meditating And in their meditation, they see, they see the emptiness of 
all conditioned beings. Well, what does that, what does, what did he see? What did they see? <laughs> to constantly correct myself here. But you'll forgive me if I slip. What did they see? They see, they saw not just, <clears throat> not that we don't exist, that we're empty of existence. They saw that we are empty of separateness. We're empty of isolated existence. That we are not independent. We are not independent existence. Nor are we permanent. This should be quite obvious. That, (laughs) That we are not, that we are not independent and we're not permanent. So we're empty of these, these things. We don't have, we don't, it's an illusion to think that we are independent, separate, isolated existences. We are interdependent. We cannot exist independently. We are constantly in relation, in relationships. I defy anyone to point to a time when we are not in relationship to something. In fact, to everything. So Avalokiteshvara saw, saw, didn't just think about it. When we are in meditation, that practice of prajnaparamita, wisdom practice, it's not that in meditation we learn something, but we see something directly. We sometimes call it, it's wisdom, but a better word for it perhaps is insight. Sight, I see it, I see it. I see that I am not separate. And I I suspect that when you're sitting on your cushion and I came over and I tapped you on the shoulder and said, do you feel lonely? I would guess that you would not feeling lonely on your cushion because you are practicing with all beings, you are here. You know, there's that, um, that image when we went out into space, there's that image of, the, of, the, of Earth, and then there's an arrow going, saying, you are here. You know that one? Am I not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you are here. And that is a kind of... Um, suggesting that you are just this tiny little dot, right? This, this is so, so tiny. What you forget is the whole globe, that you are in relation to everything. So instead of looking at it as I'm this isolated little tiny being, that I'm embraced. I'm part of this amazing vast universe. I'm not, I'm not outside of it. I'm right there 
in it. And so this is what Avalokiteshvara saw. We see this. We see this in, in, in our practice. We experience it. So how does this affect our everyday life? You know, we can, un- we can see this. We can say, yes, I, I understand this. But yet I still feel lonely. <laughs> so in a way, loneliness has an, a very tenuous connection with reality. But it, it does occur. And I suspect that every single one of us here has felt lonely. And it has nothing to do with being alone. It has nothing to do with being literally, physically alone. Because clearly, you can feel lonely at a family gathering. You can feel lonely in your office with everybody around. You can feel lonely with your friends. You can feel lonely in a crowd. You can feel lonely anywhere. It has nothing to do with being alone. So what does it have to do with? How does loneliness arise? How does this feeling arise? Well, if the reality is that we are constantly in connection, constantly in relation, the loneliness must arise when that is no longer present. Kind of sort of simple. When we feel disconnected, we feel lonely. When we feel connected, we feel complete. We feel alive. We feel because we have the whole universe informing our existence. And so we feel the power of being alive. But when we, when, when somehow that deep re- reality of connection is broken, then loneliness arises. And certainly, you know, we're thinking about COVID when this epidemic seemed to be most intensely felt. Literally, people were disconnected from one another. That could be a trigger for this feeling of loneliness. This feeling can be, can arise when a relationship that we are very deeply involved with breaks. It could arise then because we, we're, suddenly we're disconnected. We lose a job. We felt which we feel connected to. That could be the occasion for this feeling of loneliness. 
But it always comes back to what relationships we're in and how attached we are, how much we identify with those relationships. So that when one of them is broken or many of them are broken simultaneously, sometimes that happens. Like suddenly all the things that you were connected with that you thought of as being who you were breaks and then suddenly this feeling I've lost connection but that's an illusion you've lost this connection or that connection or this one but you're you're always in relation so a response to loneliness, to this sense of being disconnected, could be once that sense of disconnection happens and you're feeling at a loss, feeling at, at sea, not knowing, not just knowing who you are, but how you are, because you've lost what you think of as your, as your identity, this particular relationship, you can take that disconnection and run with it in the direction of more and more disconnection so that you basically run away. You, you disconnect more. And you become more and more isolated within yourself and maybe try to medicate against that feeling where the disconnection becomes more and more final. Uh, You drink, you take drugs, you shop till you drop, uh, you, you make television your companion and you you know you binge uh on on tv you there's a there's a way of disconnecting more and more and more and that's one way of responding to that sense of loneliness which is that feeling but in our practice of course when we understand, truly understand, and see that we're always connected, we can trust that and rely on that by reconnecting, as hard as that might be. We can make the effort to find the connections that Maybe we've lost some, we've lost important ones, but they're everywhere. I remember I, I was doing a tea ceremony for my guiding teacher who had a habit of not showing up at things. And I did a lot of preparations for the tea and... Um, supposed to be prompt for a tea ceremony. Mm. 
So five minutes passed, 10 minutes. He wasn't, he wasn't coming. And I was sitting there in the tea house, just feeling disconnected. You know, he's my guiding teacher. Uh, and I'm making all these preparations for him and, and it's not, he's abandoning me. I'm just like, and that wasn't the first time. <laughs> But again and again, it's like, huh, you know, what's going on here? And I felt, I was feeling, I was feeling lonely sitting there by myself with all these beautiful utensils and bowls and the comma smoking and ready to be used to the, for the ceremony. And... My practice kind of kicked in, and I went to the door, and outside of the tea house, there's usually a basin where you wash your hands first and wash, wash your mouth, so you kind of purify yourself before you come into the tea house. And I happened to look out the door at the basin, and there was a blue jay sitting on the edge of the basin, drinking the water in it. And I said, I'm going to serve the blue jay tea. I was able to see. My teacher didn't arrive, but the blue jay arrived. Okay, I'm here for the blue jay. This is my connection. It, those connections never cease. But if we live in the small mind, in this very small world, we don't see those. That's why we practice on there. Because we get to the big mind, to the spacious mind, where we can see things that we don't see when we're locked up in our heads. And we're locked up in our preconceptions and our expectations and our habits, our habit energies. And I suspect that if the blue jay hadn't arrived, I don't know, I probably would have served myself tea. And enjoyed that. Enjoyed connecting with myself and actually with my own loneliness. I might have, I might even have cried while I was drinking my tea. And so this is another aspect of our practice that we, we really embrace everything that arrives in our lives. Not so much as a teaching, you know, what do I have to learn from this? Which is okay, which is good too. But just to fill, to fulfill our lives, to become more complete human beings, so that everything that arrives in, in our lives becomes part of our lives, becomes part of who we are. And so there is... We, we, don't, we don't avoid loneliness. 
we see into it. We don't fear loneliness. We don't, this is why in the, in the sutra, and I keep coming back to this, fearlessness doesn't mean, it's not that. It's this willingness, this availability, this willingness to meet whatever it is that arrives. And if loneliness arise, arrives, sometimes we, see, we, we talk about being a good host or hostess. That this being is a guest house. And whatever arrives, we bow and meet it. It doesn't mean that we have to um, pat it on the head and, and cultivate it and invite it back again and again and again if it doesn't happen to be a very appreciative guest. <laughs> but if it comes back, if it comes back, okay, you're here again. Let's... Of course, that guest never reappears in the same way. It's always in flux. So in fact, we can meet whatever seems to be the same Oh, you again? <laughs> so we don't see, no, it's not you again. It's because there's no permanent you. This is a completely fresh greeting. This is a completely fresh meeting. Because nothing is the same. Nothing is permanent. So one of the, one of the responses to this illusory feeling is to transform the feeling of loneliness which by the way Buddha never really talks about loneliness uh, he has really nothing to say about loneliness probably because it's, it's an illusion but he does speak a lot about what I'm going to call solitude, which is very different from loneliness. And Buddha actually encourages solitude. We're not lonely on our cushion, but we've, we've chosen to be solitary for 20 minutes. Um, being, having solitude is so deeply important because it's the time when we can actually see, see what is real and reconnect with ourselves. See who we, who we really are. So I want to um, quote this, in a way, the beauty of solitude. This is from um, Ryokan, who is a poet, Zen poet. And he spent a very 
isolated, solitary life. And there was, his poetry reflects the beauty of that. And he says, in the blue sky, a winter goose cries. The mountains are bare, nothing but falling leaves. Twilight, returning along the lonely village path, alone, carrying an empty bowl. Foolish and stubborn, what day can I rest? Lonely and poor, this life. Twilight, I return from the village again, carrying an empty bowl. So here is a person who is not afraid of loneliness, that there is something beautiful and bittersweet about solitude. Uh, and he, he's, he's returning probably to his hut with an empty bowl. He hasn't, he probably hasn't made very many connections, probably many, most of the people that he went begging uh, to didn't put anything in his bowl. And so he came back empty, empty. So we're empty, we're empty of this separateness, but we always return to the fullness of our being. When, um, when Coben describes Shikantaza, and sometimes we read this, we read this passage from Coben. Sitting Shikantaza is itself place and things. The dynamics of all Buddhas are in it. When you sit, the cushion sits with you. If you wear glasses, the glasses sit with you. Clothing sits with you. House sits with you. People who are moving around outside all sit with you. Shikantaza does not depend on human intellect. It is not something you understand. It's indescribable. We say the contents of sitting are beyond our thinking system or our sensations. Belief or confidence is not what we usually think it is. Doing shikantaza shows utter trust and belief. If you explain shikantaza, it becomes something which you don't understand. But you can experience sitting with everything with the understanding that everything is there, is there with you. It's not, this is not this oneness of I'm, I'm one with everything. You're not one with it, but everything's with you. 
It's, you're connected to it. So elude the illusion of loneliness. It needs to be recognized, needs to be seen as just what it is. And then we can have a deep response to it. In fact, sometimes I've heard that marriage or a good relationship is when two people act as the guardians of each other's solitude. Interesting, isn't it? In friendship, in relationship, in deep a deep connection and intimacy. It's not like possession and this merging. No, it's I am the guardian. I will guard your solitude. And I think there's a, also a, a quote from uh, Saint-Exupéry in The Little Prince that love isn't two people gazing at each other uh, you know, it, uh, in, in some kind of rapture. It's two people looking outward in the same direction. Which is something, it's about relationship, but also the preservation of one's, one's own being. So we're not talking about merging, about losing our our sense of who we are, but we are talking about some, I've been talking about going to the edges of who we are and meeting all that we are connected with. Ryokan again. Standing alone beneath a solitary pine, quickly the time passes. Overhead, the endless sky. Who can I call to join me on this path? Can I call you? (laughs) Can I call you? Can I call you? (laughs) 